0: Okay, well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. We're going to start this new series called "Transformed," as Hillary said. And uh, over these next few weeks, we're going to be doing, looking at a number of different areas of our lives, and uh, asking God really to just help us speak to us out of His Word. And really, our hope and our prayer for you is, as you look at this series, as we go through this together, is not that you just experience a good, you know, series of talks or. Uh, a greatly packaged series, but really the hope and the prayer is that during this series things change, that we allow God access to our lives and we say to the Holy Spirit, would you help me? Would you change this about me? Uh, Would you come and transform me? That's our prayer. And this is important, isn't it, for all of us, because really most of us devote a lot of our lives to the whole idea of change. Even as I was preparing uh, this week and thinking about this talk, I was aware that most of what we do, a lot of what we give our energy to, is devoted to the end goal of wanting things to change. So you think, we work longer hours, we buy more stuff, we get into fitness, we get into eating, we get into whatever it is, a new relationship, all with the hope that one of these things is going to deliver to us change, things will be better, our lives will be better. Even just this week, I went on Amazon, and I was looking, and just, you know, they have adverts that come up, so there was an advert for an exercise bike. The exercise bike had a slogan that said, New Year, New You. In other words, buy the exercise bike, and you will be different. That's why we buy stuff, because it promises that it's going to deliver a new you. Somewhere inside all of us, I believe, is this hope and sense of conviction that we have not arrived yet that we could be different, there could be more. Sometimes we touch that, don't we? I don't know if you've ever experienced where you, you do things, or you live in a certain way, or you have a certain conversation, with, and it's like you feel fully alive. It's like you are, you're being who you are called to be. Well, and you can sense that that is where you are called to be in a bigger picture of your life. God has more for you, in other words, and we feel it inside. And the good news is this, is that the Bible will agree with you. If you sense that you're called to be more than who you are just now, the Bible agrees. In fact, written over your life, I would say in the New Testament, is the promise of transformation. So, Paul writes to the Ephesians, and he says, you are God's work of art. The word is Pioma. It literally means his workmanship. He wants to work on you and form you and craft you, and he's not finished with you. He writes to the Galatians, and he says to the Galatians, he says, literally, I'm in agony Until Christ is birthed in you, okay. So, in effect, like we're all pregnant—that's what it means—with the, hold on, with the possibility of God being formed more and more inside your life. And Paul writes in Romans, and this verse is a verse we're going to refer to a lot during this series. In Romans twelve, he says this: Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. In other words, the Bible says transformation is possible. It's not just possible, but it's it's on God's agenda for your life. Now, notice this, though, okay? Romans 12 gives us a very different approach to transformation, to the world. Because the world will teach you that if you want to change something, what you change is you change your externals. Let's change our circumstances Let's change our standard of living. Let's get a bigger house. Let's change the car. Because if we do the external stuff, our hope is that we'll flow back and change our feel about life. It will change us outside in. Romans 12 and the rest of the Bible will teach you actually God's way of dealing with transformation is its inside out. In fact, Romans 12 says, be transformed in the renewing of your mind. In other words, in the way you think about what you really believe is true Be transformed there, and then that will flow out into the way you live. It is inside out. So, right at the start of this series, I want to, if you like, lay a foundation for us. I want to talk about an issue which is, if you like, undergirds every other aspect of your life. And if you're serious about wanting to say to God, it's not just I want to come to church and hear some talks, but you're saying to God, I want, I'm hungry. For you to change something in me, then you need to listen up because this one will undergird everything else. It is the biblical principle when it comes to change, and it's this. if God says change is possible in your life, which he does, because we've seen that already, okay, the Bible also teaches this, and it's a very simple principle to understand. It's a little bit more tricky to do, okay The principle is this: if you want a changed life, the Bible says, the key is to walk as close to Jesus as possible. The closer you get, the more you line up with him, the more you allow him access to your, your life. Because change comes by saying to God, have access to my life. That's what reading the Bible means or praying. It's just you're saying to God, I need you, help me. The more you do that, the more possibility there is, the Bible says, that God can work in you and come working through you. So, Psalm 1. The very first Psalm talks exactly about this principle. It says this, Blessed is the one who does not sit, walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. That's not, that's not coffee. Okay, that's, that's not like Costa. It's talking about people who mock people. But whose delight... Notice this. Blessed, happy... That's what that word means. Whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his Lord day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose life, leaf, does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Psalm 1 gives you this biblical principle. If you will plant your life next to me, God says, close to me, drawing on me, basically your life will flourish. It doesn't mean there won't be seasons. There are seasons. It doesn't mean there won't be moments when it's hard. There will be. But it means fundamentally, looking back on your life, the testimony of your life will be you grew into being more of who God wanted you to be. You will flourish, you will bear fruit if you will plant yourself next to me, God says. Jesus effectively says the same thing in Matthew 6. That whole passage is about anxiety. Do not worry about this, don't worry about that. And then it says, you know, people run after all these things in their lives. But your Father knows you need them. And then Jesus says this key phrase, which is, I feel like has fed me throughout my life. Seek first my kingdom, and my righteousness and all these things your Father knows you need will be given to you as well. In other words, put me first, plant yourself next to me, make me central, allow me access to your life. Everything flows from there. Jesus in Luke uh, 11, Luke 10, sorry, says to Martha and Mary. Martha is busy doing all the stuff, practicing hospitality, and says to Martha, you are worried about all these things. But Mary, who is sitting at Jesus' feet, Mary has chosen what's most important. Now, sitting at the seat of the rabbi was saying, I'm going to follow you. She has adopted the posture of a disciple. And Jesus says, she's chosen the most important thing. One thing is needed. Now, we live in a world of multiple options, do we not? Okay? multiple responsibilities. Some of us have multiple jobs because we have to... T- and we have all these things. We say, how do I know how to balance all these things out? Jesus boils it all down and says, in the end, one key decision is needed. Where will you put me in your life? Put me first? That's the most important decision. Someone plant yourself by me. Everything flows from here. So every other talk we're going to look at this season, every other issue we're going to talk about, relational health and, you know, financial health and all these different things... Undergirding it is this key question. Will you plant your life next to God's? Will you walk with him as close as possible? Because that is the first fundamental decision. Will you walk close to me? It's simple, but it's hard to do, right? Because our tendency is that we wander away. We drift. In Isaiah it says, we're all like sheep. We've we've wandered. Okay. Being called a sheep is not, you know. It's not a compliment. You know, it's, it's not, if you were to pick a wild animal you wanted to be, we, we don't tend to pick, I want to be a sheep, okay? Because sheep are stupid. They, look, they, they taste quite nice, and they look, they look cute when they're small, but they're dumb, and they wander away, and they put themselves in stupid places, and God says, you know, you're, you're, we are like sheep. We wander. So we're going to look at a passage today about, for people who wander away. People who have the tendency, whose heart is to kind of stray, which is, I guess, all of us, we're going to look at a passage about how to come close to God, how to get back to God. Now, some of us in the room today, we don't, you know, we're not even sure God exists, and you're, you're, it's great to have you here. You are welcome here. You know, you just, you know, you observe and see how you feel about it and see if God reveals himself or not. Others of us, we, you know, you know God, but the truth is you've been away from him for many years or a long season. For some of us, you feel like you're walking close to God, but you know your heart, even now, will tend to draw yourself away day by day or week by week. Well, this story, if you like, is relevant to all of us because it is a story about how do we get back. And we're going to look at the story of two sons. Jesus tells this story in Luke 15. Both sons, by the way, need change. It's not the story of a good son and a bad son. Both sons need change. But we're going to look at the story of the younger son. And embedded in this are principles about how to get close to God. So, if you've got a Bible, turn with me. If not, we're going to put it up on the screen. And Jesus tells his story, and it goes like this. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living Bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, there are many layers to this story, okay? But amongst other things, this story is an incredible story of transition and change and transformation. Okay? The son begins by saying, Give me everything. Give me my share. It's not really his share to take, by the way, but he takes it, the father graciously gives him, and the father allows him to go. God will allow you to go. God doesn't force us. God allows us to wander. And he wanders, and he goes to a distant country, and the phrase is, he squanders everything. In wild living. It means that he drank far too much. It means he just tried far too many different substances. It means he went from relationship to relationship. And he messed everything. He burned everything he had. And it says that the country that he went to then fell into recession. A, f- a famine comes. There is no food. He has no job. He's lost everything. And eventually he goes to a farm and he finds this farm who will give him the worst job on the farm. Okay? Now, I grew up in a country, I used to work on a farm. They used to give me the worst jobs on the farm as well. Okay? Three weeks sweeping it out of a barn is a bad job. Well, this kid is a Jewish kid. And he gets the worst job a Jewish kid can do. He gets to go and work with the pigs. Jews are not supposed to associate with pigs. So he's slopping out the pigs, giving them food, okay. And he gets so hungry that even the food the pigs eat starts to look like edible to him. This is a picture of what happens to us when we go so far away there are things that you consider consuming that start to look attractive to you that three years earlier, two years earlier, you would never have touched, ever. And suddenly he's like, that looks appealing. I might try that. Maybe that will help me. And we find ourselves slipping so far away that we will consider eating and consuming a whole bunch of stuff that we would never, in our right mind, ever touch with a barge pole. And he's there. And it says that no one gave him anything. He is... And that's good news for him. Because it is in the desperation point that suddenly the Bible says he came to his senses. He's like, he wakes up. And he says to himself, do you know what? At home, even the lowest paid servant, even the bottom of the ladder at my father's house, even they're, they're treated better than I'm doing here. I've got to go home. I don't deserve to go home. I don't know what kind of response I'm going to get when I do go home. I, don't, I know I've given up my right to be a son because I've taken my inheritance The village may not allow me in, okay? They may kill me as I return, but I'm going to go home. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to own up, and I'm going to offer myself back to my dad. And that's what he does. And embedded in this story is the story, is principles for us, when we have gone away from God as to how to come home. The first one is this. This is critical when it comes to change. The son comes to the point of realisation that his life is rubbish. He's fed up with how things are. He gets to the point where suddenly he becomes aware just how bad things are. I think it's possible to live your life, if you like, not really fully present and not fully aware of the kind of things we're engaging in and how destructive they are sometimes. This boy has spent, I don't know how long away, and he's squandered everything. And then he gets to this point when it says, the phrase that the Bible uses is, he comes to his senses. It's literally like he's been asleep. I was talking to a friend of mine who talked about having gone through some illness, and he said, it's like God woke me up. That's what happens sometimes. Suddenly you see life in all that it is and all that it's not. You start to see it the right way, in focus for the first time. You can live life as if you are asleep. And God gets this kid to a point where he suddenly wakes up and thinks, man, what am I doing? Why am I here? How did I get here? How did I get to the point where even this stuff looks appealing to me now? If You know the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. You get a similar bit in the story of Jonah. So Jonah runs away from God. Okay? God tells him to go somewhere. Jonah decides to go somewhere else. And he runs away. He gets on a boat and he thinks maybe if I go on a boat, God won't be able to find me. <laughs> this is not a great plan, okay? But he gets on a boat, and he says that on the boat, okay, he falls asleep, and a storm kicks off, okay, and. And the sailors are so scared, they're trying to work out what is going on. And in the end, they realize they've got to go and wake him up. They literally wake him up. You can be in the middle of a storm and asleep, okay? And they have to wake him up, and he wakes up, and it's like it's a picture. He wakes up and suddenly realizes the storm is my fault. Sometimes it's like we can live our life as if we're asleep. Jonah is asleep in the middle of a storm and they have to wake him up. And he comes to his senses, they throw him overboard. The whale swallows him, and for three days he's in the whale. And then he prays his famous prayer. Jesus, God, please get me out of this whale in the same way that I came in. he doesn't really pray that prayer. Okay, but think about it. You'll laugh about lunchtime, okay? And he had to wake up. I read an article a little while ago about a lady who makes films with people, like personal one-to-one films. And often she makes films with people who are at the end of their life. Sometimes they've got terminal illness, and they know they're reaching the end. And she said in this article that often there are two things people say. Often they talk about their regrets, about the things they didn't do, the people they didn't become, the things they gave value to that they wish they hadn't done and the things they missed. But the other key thing they often talk about is the fact they didn't live life as if they were present. Life can just kind of fly past you, can't it? Not fully awake, not fully aware of what is going on. Jonah is like that. This boy is like that. Don't let that be your story. Okay, this series, even this morning, could be like, God is waking you up. It's like, wake up. See how it really is. See what is really important. See what you're giving your life to that you shouldn't. See what you should be giving your life to. What counts and what doesn't count. Part of being transformed, part of the key steps first of all, is like waking up and becoming aware that this is not right, things are not what I wanted, that I feel disappointed. Disappointment is a key emotion when it comes to transformation. Okay? If we're satisfied with the way life is, with our financial life or the way we view things or you know, our, our, how we handle anger, if we're satisfied with that, then there's not going to be any change. But God sometimes allows us to get to this point where we wake up and we realize how disappointed we are That word, disappointed, I am not living the life appointed to me is a key emotion and this boy realises I'm really disappointed. That's the first one. Here's the second one. And the first step and the second step are both important. The second step is this. The boy owns up. He doesn't just wake up and come to his senses. He owns up. In other words, he takes responsibility. He rehearses the speech, yeah? I don't know if you've ever done this but you know you've got to go and go see someone that you've let down, and it's like it's, you're you're nervous about it, so you rehearse what you're going to say. Yes, and he's rehearsing it. You get it twice in Luke fifteen. This is what I'm going to say, and he goes back and he says exactly that. You know, I've I've let you down. I squandered it. It's my fault. Just let me be a servant in your house. He he rehearses this week. He owns up. Every good parent in the room should know one of the things you need to teach your kids is to own up and take responsibility. Because you can get to the point where you're disappointed. You can take step one and go, I am disappointed. Life has not worked out the way I want it to be. But if you don't own up as well, if you don't take step two, if you don't notice where it is your responsibility, because there are things that happen to us which are outside our control, absolutely. But sometimes there are also things that happen that we choose and are our decisions. If we don't get to the point where we own up, what tends to happen is this. The disappointment becomes resentment. And the resentment becomes bitterness, and what happens is we tend to project that anywhere we can find someone to blame. It's their fault I'm like this. It's that it's the government's fault. It's the school's fault. It's the church's fault. It's my, it's my you know, and there may be rightful blame to a portion at times. But if we don't own up, then you miss like you miss the chance to change. You have to take responsibility for where. We have made choices. Adam, if you read through the Old Testament, Adam doesn't do this. You know in Genesis, Adam and Eve, they sin. God comes looking for Adam because God holds Adam accountable first. And it's classic. God says to Adam, Adam, what happened? Adam says this. This woman that you gave me. Okay? And for thousands of years in marriages, this woman you gave me. It's like, I, I'm not responsible. Don't blame me. It's not me. It's like, I'm project. I'm not, it's not me i it happened it happened to me it didn't happen to him he, he chose as much as she did in exodus 32 there's an even better example okay this is hilarious this one so moses has gone off he's gone to get the ten commandments he's gone up on the mountain with god okay and he said to aaron you are in charge so he leaves aaron in charge okay now there's a bit of a delay and in the delay between Moses going off and Moses coming back, the people start to get a bit restless. Now, this is an important lesson about how to deal with delay because God doesn't always come through in the timing that we want him to come through. Right? And sometimes he doesn't come through in the way we want him to come through at all. You read in Mark 5, Jairus has to deal with delay about his daughter who is sick. Something else gets healed, his daughter dies. Now, the story we know ends with Jairus' daughter being raised, but in the middle, Jairus has got to deal with delay. That's hard. That is, that's where you hold on. Okay, some of you today, you've got to hold on. You've got to hold on in the delay. These people do not hold on. So you say to Aaron, let's do something else. Let's build our own God. So Moses capitulates and he goes with them. And they build this golden calf and they all going a bit crazy. And, and Moses comes down the mountain and finds just chaos. And he's fuming. And this is what He he says to Aaron, what's going on? And this is what Aaron says. This is a classic bit of not owning up. Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to doing evil. So it's, it's their fault, for a start. Don't be angry with me. Be angry with them. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. I'm sure he hadn't told them. So he told them. So I told them, well, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. It's like it's not our responsibility. We, we didn't do this. It just happened to us. You don't, friends, we don't we don't get we don't get the change that God is after when we live like that. Part of the process is we've got to own up. And we've got to say, oh, I have a problem with anger. Or I have a problem, my finances are a mess, and that's my responsibility. Okay, it wasn't modelled to me, I get that, but I need some, I need some, i I got to own up. Or, you know, I just, I'm addicted to launching this stuff on the internet, which I shouldn't touch. I'm consuming things that I would never have touched five years ago, and now I'm consuming it. It looks appealing to me. It would never have looked appealing to me. We're just there, and we got to own up. Got to take responsibility in the end, I am responsible for the choices I make. No one's holding a gun to my head about the choices I make, and it's the same for you. We've got to own up. That's the second step. Here's the, here's the third step. This boy comes home, and he offers himself up. You know, we can, we can get disappointed. We can even say it's my fault, God forgive me. But he, we can not do the third one. You see, he leaves, doesn't he? He leaves, by, he leaves in the first place saying, give me, give me, give me, right? Give me my share, I want to, he's a taker. And he comes home and he says, make me a servant. Like that, that's, that's transformation, right? I'm a taker, he comes home a giver. He's changed. Things are happening. There's a step. You see, that it's not repentance is really important. Saying sorry to God is important. That's owning up, okay? But this is a step beyond repentance. It's not, you're not just saying to God, I'm sorry. You're not just saying to God, take this stuff away from me. What you're saying to God is, I acknowledge that in the end this only works with you. Like, I've got to get home. It only works if I'm lined up with you. It only makes sense if I plant myself next to you. So he comes to his dad and he says, like, I'll do anything, anything, anything you ask. Make me a servant. That's what he says. And you've got to do the third step as well. Got to, if you're not a Christian, that's how you become a Christian. You say to God, okay, I'm lining up. And those of you who are Christians, but you just know like, your heart's pulled maybe you've been away a long time, you've got to do that one as well. You've got to say, God, okay, I'm lining up. I want you to have your way. I want you to do what you want to do. I need you. I cannot do this. I'm tired of pretending that things are better than they are. I want to come home. That's what he does. What happens when we say that to God? What happens when we Take those steps. What happens when we pray that kind of prayer? See, David, if you know the story about King David, King David is like, he's like a hero. But he's a hero with a horrible story, in part. He commits adultery. He then tries to cover it up. He has Bathsheba's husband murdered, so he becomes a murderer. You know, it's like He's like, he's living with the pig suddenly. And Psalm fifty one is a psalm. If you've never read it, is a psalm of him owning up. Okay, it takes him a while to own up, but Psalm fifty one is the story of him. Is the prayer he prays, owning up. So he prays. He says, "My transgressions are, uh, you know, these are my transgressions." He says, and they are always before me. In other words, he cannot get them out of his head. Know, even now, you know, even now, during this message for some of you, it's like they're popping up in your head. You know, those kind of things where you know it's not good and you feel like, oh man, I need. And it's like they're, they're, they're the things that wake you up in the night. They're the things that just cause your soul to not feel settled. They are the things where you wake up in the morning and you feel okay for the first few seconds and then it's like, bam, it's there again. It's like, David's like, I cannot get this out of my head. It's always before me. I cannot push it away. And that David's owning up. And then he prays this prayer. He says this, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. I don't know if you've ever felt crushed. Like so (coughs) desperate. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. That's a word for sin, stuff I did wrong. What happens when you pray a prayer like that? See, there really can be very simple prayers, but I want to say there's incredible power in that prayer because there's power in the cross. See, we come to God, don't we? We say, God, I feel like I feel broken. I feel bro- I, In this area of my life, I need change and I feel broken. Okay? There's power in the cross because what you find out is that Jesus has been broken for you. You pray David's prayer and you feel, I literally feel crushed on the inside about this issue. Okay? I'm so tired of feeling like this. Okay? It all starts coming out and you find that Jesus has been crushed for you. That's why there's power. There's not power because it's a nice sentiment. There's power because Jesus, you feel broken and you feel crushed and you find that Jesus has been broken and crushed for you. You say to God, I feel dirty. I just feel shame. I feel like, I feel the guilt of my actions. I know it's my responsibility. You pray, David's prayer. you say, cleanse me, wash me. Could you take this away? And you find that God can wash you and clean you. Why? Because on the cross... God treats, the Father treats the Son, treats Jesus as if it were you or me. That's how he's treated. Okay? Literally, Jesus is treated as if he is the Son who says, give me my inheritance, I'm leaving. As if Jesus had squandered everything and lived wild. As if Jesus had slept around, tried all sorts of substances, and ended up eating with the pigs. The Father treats Jesus as if he had been the one who left home, so that you and I can come home. That's why there's power in the prayer, because Jesus has already made a way for you. It's like God wants to wake you up. You need to go, I need to own up, and I'm going to offer myself up. And there is power in that kind of prayer. It means David's prayer, your prayer, my prayer, is not without hope, because there's power in the cross. Let's stand together when we're gonna pray.